Welcome to the Books of Titans podcast, where I seek truth in the world's great books. I'm your host, Eric Rostad, coming to you from the beautiful Books of Titans studio in Franklin, Tennessee. My goal is to read 200 of the great books over the next 10 years and share what I'm learning. I'll talk a bit about each book, tie ideas together from a variety of genres, and share the one thing I always hope to remember from each of the great books. Today, I'm going to cover the five books of Moses using the translation and commentary by Robert Alter. This is book one for my 2024 reading list. When January of 2020, I decided to do something I had never done before in my life, and that was to attempt to read the entire Bible straight through, starting in Genesis and ending in Revelation. I had done Bible reading plans previously in my life to where over a, a period of a year, I, I had read through the Bible, but it was the whole year and you, I would jump around and maybe read four or five chapters a day. And if you do that, you can get through the whole Bible in a year. But I had never just started at the very beginning and then just read to the very end without reading anything in between and trying to do it in a compact period of time. Well, I did it. I did it in 2020, and that was a leap year, and I actually finished the last page on February 29th, that, that extra day. So uh, it, it, it took two months, but, but I did it. And I decided to read straight through the Bible for a second time last year, so that was in 2023. And I chose a different translation and a different version than I had in 2020. And again, I started at the beginning, and I, I read straight through to the end, and I finished again on the last day of February. And it has been such a good experience both both times that I've decided to, to do this for the foreseeable future, perhaps for the rest of my life. And so that's the period of time I'm in right now. It's January and February of 2024, and I am back to reading straight through the Bible. So I'm not reading any other books at this moment, just January and February going forward. My plan is to focus just on reading the Bible straight through, different version, different translation each each time. And part of the reason is just, I just, I, I want to, I, I, I want to, I, I want to read the book. I want to, I, I just want it fresh in my mind as I, as I go into my other reading for, for the year. It's just, it's such an extraordinary book and it's one that it just opens up new layers with each reading. So the version I'm reading this year is the Robert Alter translation. He's a translator. He's, he's alive. He lives in California, teaches at Berkeley. And this series or this set is contains three books. And so the first one, the one I'm covering today is the Torah. It is the five books of Moses. It is Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And so this is the first of the three books of the Robert Alter set, but that's just the Hebrew Bible. And then I've added a, a, a version of the New Testament that I'll read after that, and, and that'll be sometime in February. And so this three-book set, I was introduced to it last year when I did a reading group with The Catherine Project, and the, the book that we covered was the book of Samuel in the Hebrew Bible, and, and that's where we learn about King David, uh, Saul, and, and Samuel, and David and Goliath, and, and, and all those stories. And I... I just, I fell in love with it. And, and we relied heavily on the Robert Alter translation for that group. And so the translation is one part of it, but the commentary is, is the gold. And the commentary on most pages takes up more than 
the Bible part of it. And when I went through Samuel with this reading group, it just, it, it, it brought out so much. One thing I really like about Alter's commentary is that he'll say, I used, or this is, this word also shows up in this part of the Hebrew Bible. And I translated it this way because of the context and also because of how it was used in this other uh, this other story. And so you, you get to know the words that are being used. You get to know uh, why he's translating them a certain way. And it just, it really opens up the Bible. And, and so in this reading with Genesis, I read I read Genesis, but then I read every piece of commentary that he wrote about Genesis. And I realized really quickly that that was not, I was not going to be able to get through the Bible by Feb, by the end of February, if I did that for every book of the Hebrew Bible. So I just did that with Genesis where I read Genesis and the commentary. And then for the other four books that are part of the five books of Moses, so Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, I would read the introduction before each book by Robert Alter. And then I would glance at the footnotes when there was something I had a question about or just wanted to learn more about. So it wasn't exhaustive on those other four books like I did with Genesis. And then I think what I'll do just, uh, you know, future years is to perhaps just pick one book out of the Hebrew Bible and, and go deep and read all of the commentary by by Alter in in that year and just pick one book just because it does it does take so so long to do that. So one one other way that I um, uh, just in general in what I've done the the other two times I've read the Bible is I I just I have a ton of questions as I'm reading. And so what I do is I write those questions in the back or in the margins of the book. And what I try to do is just kind of keep those questions at, at the forefront, just have them in my mind. And what I'm trying to do is see if they are answered later on in the Bible itself. So I'm not, I'm not stopping reading, going to Google and searching for the answer. I'm not calling up friends or texting friends who I know would know the answer. I'm not, I'm not doing that. I'm trying to see if I can just sit with that question and see if it gets answered later on in the Bible. So that's, that's one of the, the ways I'm, I'm engaging with the Bible when I'm, when I'm reading it. I think earlier in my life, I, I just would have even had a fear of, of questioning things or, uh, you know, is it, is it, is it okay? Is it okay to question things and, and all that? And, and now I'm to the point where I just, I, I, I want to ask the questions. I want to, I want to sit with them and I want to be comfortable in just not having an immediate answer, but perhaps seeing that answer come later on. And, and when I've done that, uh, once I do come across the answer or, or a further explanation, it's much more meaningful and it's something I remember more because it's, I, I've, I've sat with it for a while. So I, I want to, I, I'll, I'll, I'll say this again at the end, but I, I want to challenge you to do this at some point in your life. Uh, this is such a foundational text to so many of the other books that you're going to read, and especially the five books of Moses. There are so many stories, there are so many words. I'll, I'll highlight one in the next segment, uh, just even a, a turn of phrase that shows up in, in a Cormac McCarthy book, and how that impacts how you understand different books and different classics and different great books out there. Just how, how this has permeated our culture, how it's permeated our movies, uh, our books, and just knowing this or and just having read it uh, can help just so much in that. It can help when you're going into a museum uh, and, and seeing the artwork there. So many of the stories and so many of the, of the 
artwork that you're seeing references stories from this book. And so I, I do hope you read it at some point in your life. You don't have to read it in a short period of time. You could listen to it. You could you could do something. But um, it's it's a really it's a foundational text in in so many ways. But uh, but yeah, I, I I hope you I hope at some point in you do you do this in your life. For initial reaction for the five books of Moses here, uh, <laughs> I never thought I would say this, but I loved the book of Deuteronomy. This reading in particular, I don't, uh, it just, it really stuck out to me. It was just very alive. And I always viewed the book of Deuteronomy as a very dry book, a book of law, a book of just, you know, a boring book, like you had to kind of slog through and and you might not even make it through it because it's so boring. You might just give up. I I always kind of had that view of it. And then just this year, it just, it, it, something was different and, and it just, it really opened up. And so that was, um, that was special, and, and and I really loved that. And so, in terms of just an initial reaction, uh, it was a surprise to me because I didn't think Deuteronomy would stick out to me. Uh, a few other reactions, just the commentary was so helpful. The introductions to each of the books, uh, Robert Alter just being a scholar and being um, and, and just kind of looking at it as a whole, it, it was it was so good. I I I really liked that. Uh, what Robert Alter says in the introduction is that this version, he says, the exploration of the Bible as literary expression is the central focus of this commentary, end quote. And that, so that's, that's what he's, the central focus of, of the commentary is, is that. The, the other initial reaction is just, uh, in Genesis, it took a lot longer than I expected. I, I was hoping to be able to read both the translation and the commentary for the entire Hebrew Bible. That's not going to happen, uh, but I was glad I did it for Genesis. Quick reading stats. I read this between January 1st and 22nd. It's a 794-page book with the about a 50, 50 of those pages being the introduction. It took me 29 hours and 44 minutes to read through these five books of Moses. That was 22 days, and so I averaged 36 pages per day. There'll be two more segments in this episode. The next segment, I'm going to cover some ideas that stuck out to me and questions I had as well as as I was reading through it. I also want to highlight some of the things I learned from Robert Alter in the commentary and the introductions and how that uh, has helped me to to become a better reader of the Bible. And I hope these ideas can help you as, as you approach the text as well. And then in the final segment, I will do my one thing, my one key takeaway, the one thing I'm still thinking about and pondering after reading the five books of Moses. Last year after reading through the Bible, I started the Great Books Project. And this is going to be a 10 plus year project where I read through 200 of the great books and I go from oldest to newest. And so each year I'll start with the Bible and then I'll read great books. I'll take a break, read more great books, and then take another break in December and then start all over again with the Bible at the beginning of each year. But uh, with last year being that first part of the great books project and starting with the oldest books, I started reading books from ancient times, books that were books and stories that were older than than the Bible itself. And I learned a lot. I, I um, it, it really helped to shape just even kind of the location 
or time frame of of the Bible when it was composed, when it was was put down, and, and all that, and then also how ideas from these other works show up in the Bible, and how the Bible might the the writers of the Bible might might tell the story in a different way or focus on a different aspect of it, and I, I just found that that absolutely fascinating, and so now after having read those books, coming back to the Bible at the start of this year, it provides a, a really neat contrast and, and kind of the, I guess, the comparative literature idea where you are able to, to not just view the Bible, but view it in context with some of the other writings at the time, some of the other beliefs of the time. The, the best way I know how to describe it is is if you've traveled away from your country where you were born, and it could be just even a short trip, uh, there, there's just something about getting out of your context where you're able to compare the place where you're from, and you see it in a new light, you see the good, you see the bad, you see the differences of where you've just traveled to. It, it's, it's similar to that when, uh, with, with this comparative literature idea. And so this reading project kind of becomes circular in the way where you heard at the beginning, I said, I'm seeking truth in the world's great books. And so I, I'm starting each year with the Bible. I, I, there's someone in the Bible who said that he is the truth. And so I'm then in these other works, I'm looking to see if there are traces of that, if there are echoes of that with this kind of hypothesis I have of if it's truth, it should show up in the greatest works of literature. It should be written in the heart of people to where the things that move us, the things that have stood the test of time, that there, that there is some strong trace of truth in that. And so this, this reading project then becomes kind of a circular project in, in that degree to where the books I'm reading during the year, the great books I'm reading are informing how I read the Bible, the Bible is informing how I read these other books. And to me, that's, that's my goal. That's, that's uh, why I'm doing this. And so it's just, it's all very exciting to, to now come back to the Bible after having read some of these great books last year from the ancient Near East, from Egypt, uh, different writings from, from these areas. So one thing that has happened as I've started these now the third year reading the Bible, and this is not something I plan, but but it's just something that's come about. Is I I notice a theme immediately, and each time so far it's happened in the Book of Genesis. There's just something that stuck has stuck out, and maybe it's something that perhaps I thought it was one way, and then when I really when I when I read the text, it's like no, that's not how I thought it it was all these years. And so that sticks out. And then, and then I just kind of am thinking about that the rest of the Bible. So the first year I did this, the, the curse really stuck out to me. And so I just kind of watched the curse throughout the Bible. And the fascinating thing about that was that the curse shows up right away in the story of Adam and Eve. So like page two or three of the Bible. And then there is a, there's a culmination. There, there's, there's a resolution to the curse that actually takes place. I think it's either on the second to last or the very last page of the Bible. And, and then the very last word of the, of the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament, at least how it was arranged that first year, the very last word was curse. And so I, I was just able to, to 
watch that throughout the whole reading of the Bible that year. In 2023, last year when I did it, the I, I followed the 12 tribes of Israel very closely. That just stuck out. I was, I, I'm a nerd. I was making a spreadsheet with the 12 tribes. And then anytime they would be mentioned, or there was a story about something I, I was, uh, of, of those tribes, I, I would write it down or, or, or put it in the, the spreadsheet. And, and so last year it was the, the 12 tribes of Israel. And so the theme that, that stuck out immediately this year is, is the theme of the land. And so let, let me set up, let me set this up for a minute. Uh, pretty early in Genesis, we come across uh, a, a promise and it's part of, of a covenant and a covenant is, is a contract of sorts uh, between two groups and there is a promise of the of the covenant and then there is uh, a punishment of the covenant in in the sense of each party is responsible to do something they, they have a part to play uh, it's the and they it's the promise that they will do this part of it but if 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 either party breaks the promise then there there's a there's the flip side of this covenant. And so right away in Genesis, in, in Genesis um, 13, we see that, that there is a promise of, of land and it's given to Abram. And so let me read this here. This is uh, Genesis 13. Uh, and I'm starting on verse 13. And the Lord had said to Abram, after Lot parted from him, raise your eyes and look out from the place where you are to the north in the south, in the east, and the west, for all the land you see, to you I will give it to you and to your seed forever. And I will make your seed like the dust of the earth. Could a man count the dust of the earth, so too your seed might be counted. Rise, walk about the land through its length and its breadth, for to you I will give it. End quote. And so there are a, a couple things I want to point out there. Uh, he God is the, or the Lord is telling Abram here, all the land that you will see, I will give to your seed forever. So I'll give to your descendants. Uh, and then forever, that word forever really stuck out to me because later on, uh, they get the land, his descendants do get the land, but then they lose the land and they lose it through exile. So they're, they're exiled from the land and many of those people never return. And so what does forever mean in this sense? And this is kind of the question I had immediately here of if, if the land is promised forever, yes, it's part of a, a covenant and the, co- the covenant can be broken by, by one side, but w- why does he use the word forever? And the land wasn't theirs forever. So that's kind of my question I have right now of, of what, what's going to happen with the land why were they kicked out of it and why have they not returned? And that's kind of where I'm at right now. And so once I got to Leviticus, uh, I, I saw this. And so what, what I've, what I've been doing now is I take notes in the back of the Bible when I'm reading it. And I just, at the top of every page of the notes, I'm writing land in huge letters. And then I'm just writing the page numbers of all the times the land is mentioned or something happens in the land, or there's, there's mention of the covenant of part of the, of part of the land in how the land is, is divided up in, in all these things. And so that's kind of my theme that I've, I've, settled on for this year. But let me just go into a a little bit more here. Um, So this is Leviticus 20. 
And you shall keep all my statutes and all my laws and do them, lest the land to which I bring you to dwell there spew you out. And I said to you, it is you who will take hold of their soil. And as for me, I shall give it to you to take hold of it, a land flowing with milk and honey. I am the Lord, your God, who set you apart from all the peoples. And quote. So there we see uh, the, 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 the promise or the, the, the side of the covenant that the, the Israelites have to do is that you shall keep all my statutes and my laws and do them. If they don't, lest, so lest the land to which I bring you to dwell, there spew you out. So spew, spew you out of the land. So that's, uh, that's graphic. That's pretty clear of what will happen if, if, uh, if they do not keep his statutes and his laws and do them, they will be spewed out of the land. A little further on in Leviticus, we come to this. And I will bring against you the avenging sword of the covenant's vengeance. And you shall gather into your towns and I will send pestilence in your midst and you shall be given into the enemy's hands. Further down, and I myself will lay waste to the land and all your enemies who settle in it shall be appalled by it. And I will scatter you, I will scatter among the nations, sorry, and you I will scatter among the nations and I will unsheath the sword after you and your lands shall be a desolation and your towns a ruin. And, and I'll stop reading there. So the first part, I will bring against you the avenging sword of the covenant's vengeance. So there's the promise side of the of the covenant, but there, then there's also the vengeance side of the covenant. And in this case, the the if you break the covenant, the the punishment is death. And what what we see right away with Adam and Eve is they're also promised death if they if they eat from the fruit of the tree, but death for them is exile. And in this case as well, you break the covenant, you are you're you're cut. Like the idea is that you. Or like the animals you walk between, you're cut in half. So you're you're dead. But the way that death is put about is through exile and scattering among the nations, and that's exactly what happens later on. The kingdom of Israel is is is, is uh, attacked by Assyria. The Assyrians take them and scatter them into their into different parts, and then they put other people into the kingdom of Israel. So the kingdom of Israel ceases to exist at that time. Uh, the, the the people are scattered. Let me go on to uh, one other part here about about the land and what stuck out. So now we're getting into Deuteronomy thirty, and this is getting almost towards the the very end of of the Torah. And the Lord your God shall turn back your former state and have mercy upon you, and He shall turn back and gather you in from all the peoples to which the Lord your God has scattered you. Later down, and the Lord your God shall circumcise your heart and the heart of your seed to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your being for your life's sake. And uh, even further on, life and death I set before you, the blessing and the curse, and you shall choose life so that you may live, you and your seed. End quote. Let me, let me go back to, the, uh, to, to what I just read. So first, the Lord shall turn you back to your former state and have mercy upon you, and he shall turn back and gather you in from all the people. So I just read before that that the people, if they don't obey the laws and the statutes, they will be scattered. 
And that's exactly what happens. But then here's a promise. I will gather you in from all the peoples uh, that you've been, that you've been scattered. And then the Lord, your God shall circumcise your hearts in the heart of your seed to love the Lord, your God with all your heart and with all your being. And so there's this idea here again of, of, a, of a return to the land, but it doesn't happen. Uh, the, the, the kingdom of Judah, uh, those people are exiled to Babylon and, and some of them return, but there's not a kingdom of Israel again after, after this. And so that's kind of my question now as I'm going through the Bible in, in the sense of the land. How is this going to play out? Uh, they're kicked out of the land. Why is, why is the forever part of that gone? Why, why does that not apply anymore? So that's where I'm at. If, uh, and, and again, I'm not going to ask anybody about this right now. I'm not going to search Google. I'm going to see if I can discover the answer as I read through the rest of the Bible. So this has also led to another question that I haven't pondered before. And it's about the timing of when these books were compiled. So uh, from what I've been learning and reading, the, the, a lot of the Torah, the, these five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy were compiled during the Babylonian exile. And so the, the, the people of Judah are in Babylon and these books are being compiled uh, what, what does that mean? What does that, what does that mean in the sense of these, uh, some of the, even, even some of the things that I just read where they're talking about the exile, they're talking about, this is what will happen if you, if you don't do that. And, and, and just the question that's come up for me is, uh, how much of that was being said before, uh, on the flip side of exile, before they were exiled, uh, th- there's, there's, the part where Josiah discovers the book of the law in, in, in Deuteronomy and, and discovers that and, and reads it. And so it, it's like that was, that already existed. So did, did, did they just take that like word for word? And then were, was the exile stuff in there? Like did, were, were people, were the Israelites, were they very aware that the exile was a possibility that they would, they could be scattered uh, in, in all that. And so it's just kind of like a question of, of timing of all this, because the, the things I'm reading about are maybe 700 years or so before they were compiled. So how does all that play? And this gets into more of a scholarly question in the sense of, I can't write this one at the top of the page and then, uh, find the answer later in the Bible. I, at least I don't think so. And so I do plan to have Dr. Jason Staples back on the podcast after the, the first two times I've read the Bible, I, I go through the questions I have with him. And so I'll probably do that again uh, later, maybe in February or March. And so this is one of the questions I'll have for him is just, what, you know, when it was, when it was written, how, how does that play in terms of knowledge about the exile? They're obviously in exile. So exile is kind of a bigger, it, it's at the forefront of their mind at that point. Uh, it, I, I'm, I'm curious about that now. And that's just something that, that with this kind of theme of the land that, that I'm questioning. So if you know, and you're listening and, and you have some, some good things to share, I'd love to hear from you on, on that in, in the, 
the the answers to that. But it, I will ask Dr. Jason Staples about that as well at some point here. I want to just highlight one other thing that um, that stuck out in this reading, and it is from a book that I read in 2017 and then I read again in 2020. And it's called Blood Meridian by Cormac McCarthy. And the first time I read this book, I, I despised it. And despised is kind of a nice word because I hated it so bad I put it at the back. I said it was the worst book I'd ever read. I, it was in this for this project. Like I, I put it dead last. I just I hated it that much. I thought it was just gratuitous violence. That there was nothing redeeming of it. But I gave it another chance. And in 2020, I I I did a whole I did an about face, and it became one of my favorite books. And one of the reasons is just the references that Cormac McCarthy makes. So I'm going to read the very first paragraph of Blood Meridian. And then I'm going to tie that into the Bible. See the child. He is pale and thin. He wears a thin and ragged linen shirt. He stokes the scullery fire. Outside lie dark, turned fields with rags of snow and darker woods beyond that harbor, yet a few last wolves. His folk are known for hewers of wood and drawers of water. But in truth, his father has been a schoolmaster. He lies in drink. He quotes from poets whose names are now lost. The boy crouches by the fire and watches him. End quote. First time I read it in 2017, I just blew right past the hewers of wood and drawers of water. But uh, the second reading, I, I dug a little deeper. And when McCarthy has a turn of phrase that sounds weird, he's likely trying to get your attention. And he is getting, he is trying to get your attention here because hewers of wood and drawers of water is a direct quote from the Bible. And I came across it in Deuteronomy. And so this is toward the end here. This is in Deuteronomy. Um, let me see what Deuteronomy 29. And so here, are, here's the part from Deuteronomy, your little ones, your wives, and your so sojourner who is in the midst of your camps, from the hewer of your wood to the drawer of your water, for you to pass into the covenant of the Lord your God and into his oath that the Lord your God is to seal with you today in order to raise you up for him today as a people. And he will be for you a God. Uh, and, and I'll stop reading there. So that's one part where this comes in. It actually comes in again in, in the book of Joshua. So that, that's in the next book of this series of for the Bible. And so I'll probably cover that in the next episode. Um, and Robert Alter in his commentary, he doesn't comment on this, this terminology right here, but when we get to Joshua, he does. And, and it just, it gives insight into what Cormac McCarthy is saying. And it kind of points back to what I said earlier, where, where literature is just infused with this. And the King James version of the Bible translates it the same way, the hewer of the wood and the drawer of the water. And so other, other translations would have it worded differently. And so you might just even blow by it there. But I, I, I remember that term. And so when I was reading Deuteronomy this time, I just, okay, that's, that's the one that Cormac McCarthy picked up on. Why? What does that tell us about what he's trying to say about that character? And I, I just love that aspect of it. I love when authors do that. And, but it just, it, it makes it, it makes the reading of, of that literature so much richer to, to be able to point to where that is in the Bible and why was it said that way. Uh, one thing Robert Alter does say in the, the uh, Joshua part 
is that these are kind of the bottom of the totem pole on on the worker, the labor side of things, the hewer of the wood and the drawer of the water. These are these are the lowest jobs, and so you're you're talking about somebody at the at the bottom of the social structure, and that's what uh, McCarthy is trying to get across there. All right, let me just uh, go over quickly here some of the things I've learned from Robert Alter. And these may be helpful for you in terms of tips for reading the Bible and becoming a better reader of the Bible. So let me start with the first one. If you read, uh, especially these first five books of the Bible, you over and over, you'll see this word, look. In, in, the, in, in what Robert Alter says is that the narrator is shifting the focus of the viewpoint. And so you might be kind of getting a grand, ski, a grand scope of what's going on, that kind of the big picture or, or uh, this, this, this narration of what is going on. And then when you come across that word and, and look, what the, what the narrator is trying to do is shift your focus from this, this airplane ride over over the the city into the viewpoint of the person that he is he is talking about and so it's just a it's a a method of shifting the focus but if you know that it's it's very helpful and then it's just okay if i see and and look it just it's a startling thing because it's like narration 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 and look and and so uh just to to know that and and to know that that's kind of a a theme in the Bible, it, it just helps kind of understand like, okay, now I'm to take the, the perspective of this person that, and look. From there, uh, it just kind of goes into more themes. Uh, so for example, there is an enunciation type scene, and, and there are quite a few of these, where there is a woman who is barren, and she uh, is just, you know, it's just the worst thing to be barren. Uh, but a messenger of the Lord comes and, and, uh, after that she's able to get pregnant. And so you see, you see these kind of throughout, throughout the Bible. But what Robert Alter points out is that this is a common theme and it follows this sort of, uh, uh, structure. But he says, you need to watch these because if there are slight deviations, those deviations are telling you something. And so it's important when you come across an enunciation type scene, then, okay, uh, you, typically a they're going to be kind of in this type of, of a location, and then, uh, and then a messenger of the Lord is going to come, and then this is going to happen. But if there's deviations in that, that deviation itself is, is, is a note, is, is something of importance. So that, that was really neat. And then the enunciation type scene is just one of, of many kind of themes that show up. In addition to themes, you kind of have these styles. So there's styles that emerge in the Bible and just the way of writing about things. So it's, it's kind of similar to that, that scene of the, of the enunciation type scene. But these, this style leads to a worldview of sorts. And so, for example, in the Bible, animals do not talk. Except for Balaam and his donkey, and then perhaps in the Adam and Eve story with the serpent uh, speaking. And so there's a general thing, like, you, you know, other literature at this time, there might be animals speaking, there might, uh, there, there might be different styles. There, there's a particular style in the Bible. And so if an animal does speak, that's a big deal because that just does not happen in this, in this worldview. Uh, and so the, the donkey speaking is, is a big deal. It's something that should pique our interest because this just does not happen. 
Uh, it's something that, that, again, that Robert Alter pointed out. Another thing he points out is, is repetition. There's a lot of repetition. The, the first time I read straight through the Bible, I was amazed at how many times the Ten Commandments were in the, in the Bible. I, I just assumed they were in one place, but they're, they're in multiple places. Uh, but this happens a lot with, with, uh, with lists, with instructions, and, and with reiterations of messages. So if somebody gets a message and they receive the message, and then they go and tell another person about the message, Robert Alter, Alter says to, to watch that. Because if, if in the reiteration of the message, if they leave something out, or if they add something, th- that, that is telling. And so if they leave something out, they don't want that person to know. Or if they're adding something, they might be misleading the the person. And so watch when you see repeated information. Is it the exact same? Is there a slight difference? If there's a slight difference, why is the difference there? If if it's in addition, why is there an addition? Is the person trying to save face? What what's going on in the story? I just found that to be very helpful uh, as as I come across and, and, and it's something that I, I didn't really notice when I would skip around in the Bible, but when you just read it straight through, you're like, okay, I've seen this before. Why, you know, why, why are we repeating it here? And is and now just to kind of have that knowledge to keep, keep an eye out. Maybe there's a reason uh, that the repetition is there and maybe it's, there's a reason why it's, why it's different. Another thing is if somebody says something twice in a row, it could be, pointing to the fact that what they said the first time was such a shock to the person who received what they said that the person who received it could not reply. And, and I just, I, I never even noticed or never even thought about it, but, but Robert Alter multiple times would point out like, okay, this person said this, and then that person did not respond. And then there's kind of this weird thing of, and then they said this, this, but the same person said it. And so what, what, what Robert Alter said is like, usually that indicates that the person who heard that was in such a state of shock that they couldn't reply and they were speechless. And so I, I like just how that, that instead of saying, oh, and, and so-and-so was speechless, they just have the one person continue on with, with what they were saying after, after a break. Uh, I learned that the Philistines were a sea people. So the Philistines came in to Gaza. They were a sea people from Crete. And so they were uh, Hellenes. They they were Greek. They were they were from the Mediterranean area, and and that that's who the Philistines were. They were they were originally a sea people. I did not know that. Uh, when we hear the word heart, and we hear that a lot, to to love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your mind. Uh, th- what Alter says about the heart is that it's the seat of intelligence. It's the organ of attentiveness or understanding. The last thing that that uh, I learned from Robert Alter is the amount of poetry in the book of Numbers. And it's something I hadn't noticed. One thing I, I love about Robert Alter's translation is that if it is poetry, he he puts it in a different format to where, you know, there's there's large margins on each side. It's you can tell it's it's poetry. It's not just the uh, it's not re- the regular text. And it just even he just even pointed out that there's a lot there, there's quite a bit of poetry in numbers and, and just kind of, you know, why, uh, why the elevated language for particular things that are said. And 
I found that to be very interesting. And again, just something, especially in the book of Numbers, which I view as kind of one of those more boring books, uh, just the fact that there's a, a good number of, po- uh, or good amount of poetry in it was, was quite fascinating. And then it's just something that I ended up looking for while I was reading the book of numbers. So I hope those things are helpful as you, re- I mean, th- that can help you with any kind of reading, but, but there are certain styles and, and ways of, of writing in the Bible that if, if you just kind of go in knowing that these things are there, it, it, it really helps in the reading. Well, I just mentioned the poetry in Numbers, and that ended up being my one thing, that uh, the poetry of Balaam, and if you haven't read the parts of Balaam in, in the book of Numbers, it's it's fascinating. But the parts of poetry that, that Balaam says, is it just, it struck me. And so I want to read it, and then I want to talk about it a little bit, and then I want to go to the introduction of Numbers that Robert Alter wrote where he, he really kind of tuned my eyes to, to see, to look for this. And so I want to read the parts that, that he wrote. But here we go, and this is the from Numbers 23 and Numbers 24. From the top of the crags do I see them, and from the hills do I gaze on them. Look, a people that dwells apart, amongst nations it is not reckoned. Who has numbered the dust of Jacob? Who has counted the issue of Israel? And, and let me stop that one there. So the things I want to point out here is Balaam is on top of a hill or uh, a mountain of some some sort. And he said, you can see that right in the first line I read, for, from the tops of the crags do I see them, and from the hills do I gaze on them. So we have Balaam's point of view. And, and before this, we're, our, our point of view in the narration is really at the ground level of the Israelites' escape uh, escaping from egypt we 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 hear their murmurings we hear their complainings we we see what's going on but it's it's at the ground level and here it's almost like we get into an airplane of sorts and we're able to look down at the whole thing but we see it through balaam's eyes who's looking from from a mountaintop or from a hill and he looks out upon the whole people of israel and I, I, it just, it struck me. It just, it, it, it was such a different viewpoint of everything else going on. And it's this man looking down and look, a people that dwells apart amongst nations, it is not reckoned. I mean, if that's not a perfect description of most of history of the Jews, a people that dwells apart amongst nations, it is not reckoned. I mean, I mean, what a description and what, and, and right there in numbers. And then who has numbered the dust of Jacob? Who has counted the issue of Israel? Again, that, that, that verse I read in segment two of, of the dust, uh, you know, who, who has numbered the dust of Jacob? And, and that's the promise given that, that they won't be able to be numbered. And, and here you see this come up in, in Balaam's, Balaam's poetry. So let me read uh, a few pages later here in numbers 24. Again, Balaam is, is kind of this bird's eye view looking down at the Israelites. How goodly your tents, O Jacob, your dwellings, O Israel. Like palm groves they stretch out, like gardens by a river, like aloes the Lord has planted, like cedars by the water. Water drips from his branch and his root is in abundant waters. 
His king looms over Agag, and his kingship is lifted high. El who brings him out from Egypt like the wild ox's antlers for him. He consumes nations, his foes and their bones he does crush, and smashes his loins. And, and I'll stop the, the quote there. Um, so now let me go back to the introduction of this section and read what Robert Alter says about Balaam and about this, this poetry. The very figure of Balaam is part of the antiquity effect cultivated in this narrative. The self-same soothsayer is the principal character in an inscription discovered in Jordan in 1967, written in a language that is close relative to Hebrew with Arama Aramaic elements and dating from the 8th century BCE. And so we may infer that he was known as a seer of fabled, fabled powers in the traditions of this region, perhaps going back to tales old, told centuries later or earlier. His appearance in Numbers, pronouncing blessings on Israel in lofty poetic language, sets the story of Israel on the threshold of its entrance into the land in the large context of their archaic traditions of the region. It is in an Aramean prophet summoned from the eastern mountains who beholds from a promontory the vast array of the tribes of Israel, a vivid narrative realization of the dry census figures at the beginning of the book, and projects spatial into temporal vision, prophesying the future greatness of Israel. And I'll stop reading there, but I just, I thought it was beautiful. I, uh, I, yeah, that, that's, that's why it's my one thing. I just thought this whole thing was was beautiful that that uh, you've got this prophet viewing viewing the the people of Israel before they go into the land and viewing kind of from this this bird's eye view of 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 all the people and I just thought it was such a beautiful rendering of it just a beautiful vision of it that we're given from somebody completely outside of 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 the Israel people and how it's written in poetry, it just really stuck out to me in this time. So to recap, I, um, if you haven't read the first five books of the Bible, just, just do it. Just get any version. Uh, I, I, I'm really enjoying this version of Robert Alters just for the translation, but then also the commentary and just how he ties words together, how he, he says, you know, this word was used in this story as well. Um, and, and so giving you that context, the introduction is just kind of framing the, the book, talking about different ancient Near East influences and things like that, uh, where, it, where it ties in very closely to my reading list from last year and, and just reading that I've got coming up. Uh, I've, I've found it to be very helpful in my understanding of the Bible and just wanting to, to dig deeper. So if, if you're in that boat where you want to dig deeper, this would be a good place to go, the, the Robert Alter uh, series here. And uh, just again, I, I, I do hope you read it at some point in your life. Uh, if you haven't read it, it, it is the foundation of so much of the other things that you will read in your life. It's, 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 it's a good thing to have this and, and to know it. Um, so thank you for listening. I, I do plan to cover the other uh, two books of this Hebrew Bible series, and then uh, potentially the, the New Testament as well after I, after I read that. 
Let me give a quick plug here for my company, which is EPR Creations. I do website development and online consulting. And so Books of Titans is a side project for me, and I, I fund all of it just from, from this other work that I do. Uh, and, and in EPR Creations, I assist universities, small businesses, and health organizations on their online presence. So if you or someone you know is in need of a website or search engine optimization or online presence consulting, please keep me in mind. That work is what funds this reading project, and it's the best way that you can support this podcast. I don't do basic websites, so don't please don't pass me on to just uh, like a, a basic starter website. I do complex websites, and so uh, please keep me in mind if, if you know of a company that, that is in, in need of that type of service. That's going to do it for this episode. Thank you for listening. I would love to hear from you. You can email me at eric at booksoftitans.com to let me know what you thought of this episode or other ones. You can, um, you can follow Books of Titans at Instagram or Twitter and also go to the website, booksoftitans.com. I have a ton of resources there that can help you find the best books and to create your own reading list. I'll be back in a week or two, and I'll discuss another book from my 2024 reading list. Until then, keep reading, keep learning, and keep listening. I'm out.